0: Hello lovelies, well it's no secret (laughs) that I am trying to drag you and some of you kicking and screaming into expanding your lives into the ephemeral and so to that end I am putting together a conference called the Women of Wisdom, a celebration of the immaterial And the reason I'm telling you that is it is taking loads of time (laughs) to put this together. And so I have been missing in action as far as you are all concerned. I'm very fascinated by this word immaterial at the moment because immaterial, the word immaterial itself has two different meanings. The first meaning is unimportant, rejected. Your opinion is immaterial to me, not useful at all. And the other definition of immaterial is non-material, spiritual. And it's so funny how the immaterial has become, in fact, (laughs) immaterial in our lives today. Interesting, huh? So, the idea behind the celebration of the immaterial is to demonstrate how having the immaterial be immaterial is one of the biggest mistakes that we can have because the immaterial is a source of deep healing and deep meaning for many of us. In fact, chance did a interview with a young man who literally, I think, spent eight hours before the interview explaining to Chance in detail his immaterial experience. It was one of the most important things that ever happened to him in his life. And I know if you ask me, what are some of the most striking things that have ever happened to me? they are also clearly firmly planted in the immaterial. So I'm busy, but I did an interview a while back with a woman by the name of Olivia, a death doula. So we had a chat and um, I found it to be intriguing and important, (laughs) particularly the idea of orgasmic death. That's a new goal for the bucket list (laughs) right there. So because I don't have time, I'm going to play you this interview and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. And the good news is that very soon you're going to have some of the most fabulous ladies in the world talking to you about the most fabulous aspect of the world, the immaterial we're going to bring the immaterial back, baby. So, in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this. Um, I have a very dear friend with me today from Los Angeles. I met you how many years ago, my love? 20 years.
1: Yes, uh, at least 20 years ago.
0: When you were a Hollywood mover and shaker, power broker. <laughs> And gosh, have you changed your your life path since then, my love? And just to let you know, Olivia is in uh, Los Angeles and she runs a, I don't know if you'd call it a business. It's an educational facility and a funeral home called Sacred Crossings. And Olivia is essentially involved with Educating people and allowing people to engage in a practice of conscious dying—is
1: that correct, Alan? That's accurate. Yes, that—that that sums it up really. I mean, it's broader than that, but yes, you've got the nugget. How can we prepare for a conscious dying experience? Which means dare we be fully present to? Everything as it unfolds at the end of our journey and and allow it to be like the opening of a flower into what I believe could possibly be, if we were able to stay fully present, open and aware, an orgasmic death. I mean, why not? The idea of an orgasmic death is so delicious. Well, it's something I aspire to I have a long way to go, hopefully, both physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. But that is my belief, that it's, it, there's a possibility there. And why not spend the rest of my life investigating what I need to let go of and include in order to experience that? So wow. that's, my, that's my goal.
0: What, what I find so interesting about that is that is probably the exact opposite of the common held beliefs about <laughs> what the death experience is, and well, <laughs> the reason That's I wanted to nice. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you go, girl. The reason that I wanted to talk to you, you know, for magical Egypt is that magical Egypt, you know, in ancient Egypt, there was obviously a completely different approach to death and a fascination with death. And we have reached, I think, the pinnacle of materiality. When it comes to the death process. And so, what I see in the work that you're doing is somewhat of a return to a very old practice, a practice that has been much more organically with us throughout the ages. And it seems that there has been a desensitization in terms of the medical approach and basically all of the providers that deal with. Death. And so are you finding that the work that you're doing is being received with open arms, with curiosity, with fear? Given that we have this materialistic, shrunken paradigm, what what, what you know, what is the general reaction out there to what you're doing?
1: Well, the, there are two arms really, two sacred crossings. The one is the Institute for Conscious Dying, which is an educational portal to learn about what it, what is this thing called death? Well, why am I so afraid? What, what do I need to embrace, include, let go of? That's one aspect of it. So the people drawn to that are like you and me. We're, we're deeply curious. We want more information. We want to understand. So that's those people. Now, then there are the people who call me for death midwifery support, which could be anything from I just got a terminal diagnosis. That the doctor told me I'm going to be dead in three months. I'm absolutely terrified. Help me! There's that. So that's a very different journey with that particular individual. And many of them for the funeral home are relatives and children of their family members who are almost dead, and they're looking for a funeral home and they love the idea of a home funeral. So these people probably have not been investigating or interested in conscious dying at all, but they, they want to have a hands-on experience of caring for their dead loved one. So it's, it's across the board. And even within the classes, I'll have a lot of 20 and 30-year-olds who are just curious about death. Some of them are very, maybe they're, they're toying with the idea of becoming embalmers and funeral directors themselves. And then you get the middle people, the middle range, like 30 to 60, who are, they just know that they should perhaps think about this a bit more and stop being in denial. And then there's the people who are really close. They've already been diagnosed and they're getting old and, and they want to start helping their family members. So they want to be the death doulas of the world. So I, I honestly can't say, I, I thought, honestly, I've been doing it for 15 years and I thought by now everybody, I'd be, everyone would be knocking on my door wanting a home funeral because they'd all see how glorious it was and how could we have given this up to a funeral industry? And I honestly believe that every funeral home would have hired a death midwife and the hospitals would, this would be a thing by now, but it, it's very slow. It, <laughs> that's I say it's one body at a time. <laughs> Just so you know, guys, Livy's got a, a
0: an amazing video on YouTube where she basically takes you through the journey of a woman who sounds like she's in that third category of people that were diagnosed. And she allowed you to kind of film the process of her last period. And it is so incredibly touching and beautiful that it really it 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 touched my soul, Livy. And and As I was saying before, the people came in, I really do believe that you're doing God's work, my dear, because it seems that, I mean, to be very brief and not to get into my story, your story with your mother aligns very much with my story with my mother. And that that process as it's handled in general is lacking in so much love, compassion, time, ceremony, ritual, and all of those things. And that's basically what you're giving back to people.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm, what I'm trying to do is empower people to reclaim what I call the lost art and healing ritual of a home funeral, which is basically do it yourself. Take a deep breath. Take as long as you need. You know, your loved one, like nobody else did hold them in your arms. Okay. The only thing that's different is their hearts not beating. I promise you he's still there. And they look at you, first of all, as if you're a little bit nuts because they're used to being being whisked away and put in a body bag in a refrigerator. And they, so that once they've got past that initial, what, really, I can? Yes. Then they, they surrender into what I call liminal space, which, which is the space between here and now and this world and the other world. And you get to actually experience and death sort of floating over you. But it's not morbid and dark and sinister and weird. It's the opposite. It's like being bathed in in an unconditional love and kindness that you can't really experience anywhere else because there's nowhere as quiet as death. There's nowhere where the ego has absolutely no role at all. There's nothing more the ego can do about this. It cannot fix it. So it better stand by the door and shut up for a minute. And you know that happens to everybody in the room when a dead body is lying there on a table by the fireplace. It's astounding. And you can't really explain this to people because until you've actually been present to it and experienced the two or three day vigil or, of, of having that in your house, you, you just have no clue how it informs you and changes you. <laughs> I, know. I, I just did one this morning and this woman said, I, her husband died at 10 o'clock today. And she had told me before that she wanted him to be there for at least a couple of days. But, but then she called this morning to say her mom was getting a very nervous about this, that she didn't think she could handle his dead body in the house. And I said, that's okay. You know, we can take him if you need. And she goes, can we get rid of him tomorrow? And I was like, okay, if you need. I always say that because I know that once he's bathed and, and shrouded or dressed and laid on that table and covered in flowers, they won't want to get rid of him till Monday night, let alone. <laughs> but I know that they don't know that. And of course, I just sat at home at two o'clock, she calls me back. Oh, I think Friday would be fine for the pickup. <laughs> maybe Saturday. It, it's extraordinary. People don't know what they don't know. And all I'm doing is giving them permission to have an experience that up until now has been whisked out of our reality by an industry that has purported to know more than we do. And and it's just all, it's all smoke and mirrors. They don't know. It's just a dead body. All it's happened is his heart stopped beating nothing weird is going to happen. It's not going to suddenly sit up. You're not going to get scared. It's not going to smell. I'll bring the dry ice. Yeah. I'm trying to sort of normalize it all and and help people just calm down, take a deep breath. You'll be amazed. You take care of him. You know best. And yeah. I think that is
0: one aspect that is really important is that the way that it's handled now is that death is so quick that by the time you even realize that it's happened. You're standing at a funeral home and it all whizzes by you so incredibly quickly. And you know that they're not speaking about your mother or your father. They clearly don't know them. You know, that it's just a very alien and and difficult experience. But one of the things, for instance, that I love in your process. So basically, Livy will collect the body, she'll bring it to the home and In some instances, Livy will bring a cardboard coffin. And one of the most beautiful things that I've seen, and I'll try to pick some pictures out while um, Livy's talking here, is that the children, tell us about the children and the cardboard coffins, my dear.
1: First of all, for those who don't know, everybody is cremated in a cardboard box, but uh, I will take a box to the house and the children decorate it. and. It's an amazing way for the the children to begin to process their grief when when you get to decorate a box, write messages on it, paint it with flowers, or cover it with photographs. There's an all manner of ways you can decorate a cremation box. So each family comes up with something um, deliciously different. And this is happening while the body is laying in honor in the bedroom or the living room, this box is being decorated somewhere. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's just one of the many rituals that we include in a, in a home funeral.
0: What are the rituals? And honestly, on your website, you talk about in your uh, death midwifery training stage one. In fact, I'd love to ask you what enter the grave,
1: a spiritual practice. Tell me about that, sweetie. Well, the art of deaf midwifery is actually a three-part training, and it includes level one is Enter the Grave, and that's a deep dive into your personal fears, beliefs, phobias, um, the dreads that you have about dying, and everybody's got their list. So we begin to unpack that list, and then we look at, um, I give the students tools that they can begin to master in their life. So, that by the time you get to your death, it will be like almost like a nothing, a no brainer, because you'll have relived it over and over and over again. That's the goal. I mean, monks have been practicing dying for many, many millions, thousands of years, because they know that this tiny little life here, you know, 40, 60, 80 years, if you're lucky, is is a blip. And the rest, what's the rest? is what we're trying to get, get to. So um, that's enter the grave. And I do a lot of somatic movement too. I have a wonderful friend who teaches somatic movement classes. And I met a woman once who was dying and she was given two weeks to live. And up until then she was a dancer and very active. And I watched her on her deathbed do what she called the death dance. And it actually was minute movements of her fingers and her maybe her arm a tiny bit and her elbow and what she was doing was was tracking internally the thread of her life force and allowing it to move her and when she was completely in touch with this pulse of life which exists within us but we're not aware of it most of the time because we're too busy activating our brains and making our body do something. But when you're quiet and still enough, and you can open to your body is actually doing something all by itself from the inside out. She taught me about this dance and she called it the tantric feminine dance of power. So I I began with this teacher and I studied with her and I learned the tantric feminine dance of power. And I thought, oh my gosh, everybody in the world has to learn how to do this. So when they die, they can do this death dance with themselves it was it, it's erotic it's sensual it's 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 so connected and embodied to the whole experience so what i'm trying to do is to have people get so embodied in their dying days that they can actually notice the blood slowing down and the kidneys drying up and the and the eyeballs sinking while you're still present I I know I might be a little odd, but I think that's an incredible thing to want to experience. If, if, If you're going to be dead in a few days anyway, why not experience it to the max up until the last moment and trust that then the last moment can be bigger and wilder than your imaginings. So that's enter the grave in a nutshell. That's amazing, sweetie.
0: Do you, do you look at any Bardo work or, you know, Book of the Dead or, you know, any of the kind of more ancient teachings and utilize those in any way?
1: Yes, bits and pieces of everything. I know, you know, we know we've all read lots of different teachings now, so we become like a bit of a mishmash. And, uh, but the, the actual Bardo teachings come more into level three, which is after the last breath, because they're speaking more of the consciousness and, you know, POWA, which is the transference of consciousness as we leave the body. But enter the grave and the conscious dying are, are more of us being fully aware with all of our faculties and senses while we're in our dying days. So that's enter the grave and conscious dying is putting your things in order, getting prepared, using these tools now that you learned hopefully and enter the grave and knowing how to avoid the ER what to do if you did get a trach, those sorts of things. So level two conscious dying is much more nuts and bolts. Just even navigating the
0: hospital, if you don't know what your rights are, you can very easily get swept up into the system. And it's not unless you know that you can say no, (laughs) that you have an, an alternative perhaps. And so that may not be as romantic as the sexy tantra dying dance, but just as important to understand what your rights are, I guess.
1: Oh, yes, exactly. And even though we learn all that yummy stuff in Enter the Grave, I also have people really prepared for, and what if none of that happens and you are in an emergency room and you had a car accident and now you're strapped to 10 machines, now what are you going to do? So you can't be feeling remorseful or, or, or wanting to be attached in any way to it being the the lovely way you hoped it would be. Now it's not, now it's, so how, now what are we going to do? Yeah. And sadly, that is 80% of the deaths. Um, Yes.
0: Yes. How do you negotiate pain? And the, under the kind of conscious dying that you're working with, is that a
1: a challenge to the situation? Well, I, talk a lot about the difference between pain and suffering and like pain is a physical sensation and and suffering is an emotional mental sensation. So we learn to put space around our pain so we can we can become more aware when we're making a story around it which equals suffering so then we can learn to just be in pain and not be suffering which which is what you'll notice if you see an animal who's dying. They're not suffering. And an animal giving birth, is not; she's not suffering. She's just giving birth. She might be experiencing pain, but it's not affecting her in the negative way that affects us humans because we do something mental and emotional with it. So as we learn to be able to differentiate between these aspects of ourselves, then a dying doesn't have to be a suffering experience. I mean, it might have pain in there. And fortunately today, there are medications that will just take that edge off that very nicely. So we really don't need to endure that either. So perhaps we can actually just ride out of here on the tantric feminine
0: thoughts of power. <laughs> You've given Oppiment. me a life goal, honey. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're going to have to have um online, oh, you do do online classes, don't you? They are online now, they're all online now, yes, yeah <laughs> I was just telling Libby we're stuck here until twenty four so now I can come. That'll be fantastic, sweetie, so what have you learned about death and and has this work impacted your belief system
1: about what comes next? that's so interesting. I've been doing this for fifteen years, and people ask me that, and I'm going i I am. I know nothing more about death than I did on day one. How could I possibly? I'm not dead yet. I am. I'm (laughs) not in that journey. I I watch, but what I watch is people alive in their journey. They're not. So I don't know that I know any more about death. Of course, I got a lot of ideas up my sleeve, but. I'm more than happy to to just flick them out and let them go the the, the minute another piece of information comes in. Sure. Unfortunately, sure. we're in an era right now where, you know, we're flooded with the next great idea. So I, I just stay open to it all and go, could be, yeah, could be. I mean, wow, what if? And I've learned to be very comfortable with, I don't know, and, and I don't care. And, <laughs> and I'm still the midwife, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it's so
0: beautiful, darling. I mean, I mean, you really brought the concept of, you know, the power of now being present into the last stages. And even though, as I said, I've watched all your videos and I have been looking up the subject in general, I didn't get that idea of it until talking to you today. And that's why I'm so glad that you have agreed to do this. And so let's go to stage three now. So stage three of your training, as we say, it's a a, a collection of different teachings, but what are you helping people understand in section three of the training
1: after the Uh, last breath? Yes. After the last breath is everything that happens once the person has taken their last breath. So the very first thing I will do perhaps is um, mark that event. And that might mean closing the chakras. If somebody is open to the idea that there are energy vortexes here and the light body has to separate and it's a good idea to close the chakras. If perhaps it's um, a Catholic family, say, and this is far from their idea of what's important, necessary or anything, then we might just, just say a prayer together around the bed. So it, it all depends. I'm, I'm not attached to any which way, but it could mean any of those things. And then we'll begin a bathing ritual. And I invite the family to bathe, just, which is really just gently doing a bed bath, really. Most of my clients, they die on hospice at home anyway, They know they're going to die. They've called me ahead of time for a visit. Perhaps I've been coaching them through their death journey. Um, Sometimes not, but the family know that they want a hands-on experience and they don't want to give the body up right away to a funeral home. So the role there is, you know, holding back the authorities and saying, you know, you know how to care for your loved one and there you have the legal right to do this. And this is your body and so care for it the way you will. And everybody is very tender and very loving. They know just how to uh, bathe, anoint and either dress or shroud the body. And then we find a place in the house to lay it in honor, I call it. And that might be on the bed that they were on. I take a massage table to the house and drape it beautifully. They could be moved to the massage table or basically wherever they want to be is fine. Uh, we just make it look like a a very sacred place. It becomes like the altar, really, Their, their body is placed on the altar now. And everybody who gets to move into that room, steps into that liminal space in awe that this person used to inhabit this amazing body. They're not there now, where are they? And very slowly and gracefully and gradually over three days, it's covered with flowers and messages and, you know, kids come up and put things in their hands and it's just delightful. And somewhere else in the home, the cardboard box is being decorated or the pine box. And then I, I take dry ice uh, every day to the house for three days, make sure that it's kept at the right temperature. So there's no decomposition at all. No smell. There's nothing. It's just beautiful. Um, and it, it, it gives them those three days. It takes the psyche three days to really grok and understand what just happened. Even if they've been with their loved one all through their dying journey, still when they're gone, it's a little bit of a shock to the brain. So it's kind to the family to give them three more days to to get really used to this idea. And what if the soul the spirit, the light body, the energy consciousness of the one who died. What what if that is not a poof and you're gone? What what if that takes three days? Yes, Um, Christ was in the tomb for three days and the Buddhists don't touch their bodies for three days. So I'm like, okay, why not give us three more days? What's the big rush here? Spent 84 years in this body he deserves three more days laying there quietly at rest so that he can fully exhale. And and according to the Buddhists, they say that the inner breathing, which is the light body, it still breathes for anything up from between one and three days after death. I had a disbelief that the... Person
0: would be absent so quickly after the body. You know, so I'm so glad that you're talking about that. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just like, yes, okay.
1: <laughs> you verified my suspicion. Yeah. Well, I, some people it is uh they're out of there instantly. And you can tell immediately when when they usually get there within two or three hours after death. And you can tell this person is still very much inside. So let's not shoo him out. Let's do the bathing ritual while he's still there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he wants this last experience and others go right away they've they've perhaps meditators or they've 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 spent a long time with dementia or something and they couldn't wait to get out so they're not going to stick around for another 3 days so who knows it's a mystery but what I I think I'm saying is there's no rush here and we who are left behind could use the 3 days to get used to this idea and to decorate the box and plan the funeral service because On the third day, then the body is placed in the box. There's a lovely ceremony. Well, through COVID, it's usually five to 10 people. But, you know, pre-COVID and post-COVID, it will be, you know, hopefully 50, 100 people again will gather in the garden or the living room. And it's this incredible celebration because now everybody's had all of their time to feel their sorrow, sadness, say everything they needed to say. They're ready now to celebrate. This is the woof. Now you are on your way, brother. And they pick him up quite happily and carry him out to the car. And there's this feeling of like, yes, we did it. We took him every step of the way and now he's gone. Thank goodness almost, but thank goodness in a good way. Thank goodness for us. Thank it's not anything to do with this is a horrible thing. This is a dead body. This is like, it's done. We, it's done. The life is finished. We did it. We took him. There's been no mystery. <laughs> he hasn't been far away from anyone. Nobody's manipulated or wired his jaw shut or pumped his body with formaldehyde or anything like that. He's been right there in the home. The kids can go back and forth and touch him and come and see grandpa. And they're learning about death every time they go back in and they get to see that it's not morbid and scary and weird. It's just the most loving, natural thing. Oh, I could go on and on. It's such a lovely thing. <laughs> you know, well, one of the things that I found very
0: interesting too is in your video, you were talking about how the face changes over time, that sometimes when you immediately pick up the body, there may be some stress resident in the in the physical body. But as this process unfolds, you see the face of the loved one completely transform, and yeah. to witness that—I mean, my mother died of cancer. There was a lot of pain. There was just a lot of oh, trauma for everybody. And to have been able to witness that leave her, I think would have been a invaluable gift.
1: Mm, yeah, it, it's true. It, that little smile happens usually on the second day when everything's completely relaxed and people are so touched, it gives them such comfort to know that the person is really relaxed now on all of that tightness and stress and trauma of dying. Because it's a labor to death. It's hard work to die, you know? The
0: question that kept rising up for me is how would I hold space for the emotion that is associated with this?
1: Well, of, there's always sorrow, and, and I actually differentiate sorrow and grief because I I feel like sorrow is an opening of the heart into the realization that they loved this person so much and they're never going to see them again, which is just love pouring out of their heart. And that is very present at a home funeral. Lots of that, lots of that love, liquid love, I call it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of that. Grief, on the other hand, is, I feel, and it's just my own interpretation of it, has a sort of a longing to it and an attachment. So I, I wish the person was still here. I wished it had been different that kind of grief is actually a little bit painful and many people do experience that. That's a very real thing. And it's a different texture, different vibration than sorrow, I think. So um, I, I, most people experience sorrow at a home funeral because you, here's this being that you love so much. You cared enough that you had a home funeral. So most of the people who want to call me forth are, there's no attachment to the person; they're just sad, just sad. So that is very cleansing, actually, to be present to. And so, all I'm—I'm I'm not really holding space; I'm just open to whatever. And I feel honoured to be able to bear witness to that much love. So it's not draining at all; it's actually um, invigorating and um, refreshing and. Wow, people are being real. They're being present. They're allowing what is, and it is such a contrast to what most people are doing—running around trying to get things, on, on achieve things, and do things. So, it's it's a delicious experience being there. So, so no, in answer to your question, it's yes. not draining at all. Livy, you're
0: blowing my mind. I mean, you're really, like, literally blowing my mind. You know, I, I. I'm going to call you St. Livy from now on. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I mean, you know, the words conscious dying, you know, like I literally understand the words on your website, um, but uh, the ex- the experience of it, the taste of it, the essence of it, is so much different than I had even imagined. And it's just absolutely beautiful. It re- it really is. It's gorgeous, sweetie. Me. It is. Yes. It is it's it is. It's it is, it's, del- it's delicious. I'm going to come back to the orgasmic because I want to know how do we <laughs> get from delicious to orgasmic, right? <laughs> but you also work with pets. And I think that is beautiful. I think when I I have my friends that lose their pets. In a way, there's a more. Nat- it seems that those deaths are handled in a way that's more natural than the ones we have with our loved ones. That this poem funeral process is more accessible to people in, in their thought processes because it is a pet, and you know, and and some of the uh, funerals that I've seen on your page are just gorgeous for pets as well.
1: Oh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that most pets are more natural because, unfortunately, most pets are euthanized these days. Actually, which is not <laughs> it's yeah. the it's not the natural um, way. It's kind of interesting when you. Really look at that. What we're doing
0: to our yes. Look, I'm from an outsider. You're you're absolutely right. They do get them euthanized and then they bring them home and but they so they so they're they're doing the f- home funeral part, but they're
1: not doing the conscious dying part. You're you're exactly. absolutely right. Yes, because an animal dies consciously, but it goes outside by itself. It doesn't want to be touched or or made comfortable like we all try to make our dying pet comfortable and what the dying pet wants is to feel the earth underneath its belly and to be left under the bush. So it can just uh, surrender to the earth. And, you know, we, we've taken that away from our pets in because we've domesticated them. So it, it, it's, it's tricky that because our, it, I mean, I was faced with that when my own dog died and he, he wanted to go outside and he, he, almost ran away from me the day before he died. And I somebody the neighbor found him under a bush and I went, oh perfect. He should die there. And then we all dragged him out and took him home. And I was like, why didn't we just leave him there? He was consciously dying. He knew what he was doing. But it 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 goes against our feeling of I, I think what happened to me is I realized that the next day I'd find him covered in ants and then I would feel badly and I couldn't really leave him there in the city under the bush. So, all of that is all entangled in. No, we've got to bring him home and and put him on his bed and put the heat on, and <laughs> which is the opposite to what he wanted. So, yeah, I think we've kind of muddled that conscious dying piece for our pets. Um, however, once that once they have died, I the way, the reason we bring them home is for ourselves. Um, I I the, all of the animals I've witnessed that they do eject themselves from their body that I don't experience them hanging around because they don't have the, the mental storytelling thing that we do, you know, that what I talked about before, you know, the difference between pain and suffering, they don't suffer. And, you know, I don't think they need to stick around in their body. We need to have them there. And I think it's very healthy for us, our psyche to begin to process. So I do think it's a good idea to have a pet home funeral. But not not maybe not necessarily three days, uh, I, um, but at least a, a day or so for children to open that conversation, to be part of that, to to lean into the death. It's lovely. It's lovely. Um,
0: so, sweetie, when you are doing
1: the actual death
0: midwifery, would midwifery? I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Are people dealing with fear, and if they are? How do you work with that fear about their coming transition?
1: Well, I almost everybody has fear about dying because it's scary to go somewhere you've never been before or consciously and to (laughs) dare to tread that path and knowing that you're saying goodbye to everything you've ever known. Even the bravest of us, I, I think if we dare to be honest, there's fear there. The, the trick is to not let the fear dictate anything. Just allow it to be present, to feel it and watch it as a wave. And it will, it moves, it changes in texture and, and length and um, tone. So, and that's why we have to practice being with these feelings now in our life. So, when we're at our deathbed, we're not going to just recoil in horror because it's too big we'll have gotten familiar with riding these waves of fear and so my most of my role is giving them permission to feel whatever is and okay they're really really afraid we don't have to try and figure out why and we don't have to stop them being afraid we don't have to give them some advan and make them calm down you know i we just have to give them permission to be open to feel it. And all anyone needs is to know that they're safe in their feeling, their feeling, to know that somebody's right beside them and has got their back and will travel this path with them. So yeah, I'm not trying to make the fear go away. I'm I'm putting space around it so they can feel it to its edges that's what being human is after all, right? <laughs> so. It's amazing. Look, I'm, I'm assuming that the people
0: that come to you from the, for the midwifery portion of your services are probably pretty conscious people anyway, but it also leads me to believe that they might be having the most human education that they had ever received in the last month of their life with you, sweetie.
1: Yeah, well, well, not just me. I think everyone gets it just because they're dying. It's the most powerfully awakening experience that you'll ever have if you dare to have it. Sadly, a lot of people choose not to give me the morphines. Let me go to sleep. To, uh, I'll wake up when it's over, which is sort of ironic because there is no. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a privilege to, to, to bear witness to that intensity and
0: amazing sweetie absolutely amazing but i just want to say thank you thank you so first of all thank you for humanity for doing this for humans and thank you for taking the time with me today so that i can share this beautiful work with my with my magical egypt people um because I, I think it really is such a gift. And, and even, as I said, I've been stalking you, so I've got a whole new understanding.
1: Well, you too, darling. Have a beautiful time there in Down Under. And um, I I'll hope I'll see you soon. Have Bye, seen. everyone. Much love. <laughs> Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for being with us. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Hekka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years.